Welcome to Bible and Bourbon with Pastor Ben. Today we are covering the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Today I am drinking a hot toddy because I'm having a bit of a cold or allergies or something. I feel like everyone says they have allergies when really they have a cold. I was trying to put off recording this podcast until my cough went away, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be a possibility. So I am drinking a hot toddy today in the hopes that it helps prevent my cough. I'd also like to thank everyone who downloaded my book, Bible and Bourbon, The Parables of Jesus. I've been overjoyed by the amount of you who have downloaded it and the success that the book has become. It spent the majority of last week as the number one new release in personal growth Christianity, actually ahead of Joel Olstein's new book. So it seems like a fair number of you have downloaded or purchased the book, and I am just so happy that so many of you are reading and learning about the parables of Jesus and seeing how they connect with our modern world, even though they were written so long ago. So again, thank you all for uh, downloading or purchasing a physical copy of the book. If you do like it, go ahead and leave an Amazon review. That's one of the best ways for people to find the book and for people to know if they're going to like it before they purchase it. So please, if you have downloaded or purchased the book, please leave an Amazon review down below. Let's go ahead and start with a prayer. Almighty God, sometimes we lose our place. We don't realize that we are your children, first and foremost. Please allow us to remember that this week as we continue on with our lives. And please let this study not be the best part of our day, but merely a building block to something better to come. Amen. From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell." See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one wanders off, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? 
And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. So this scripture comes from the fourth discourse in the Gospel of Matthew. And this one is prompted by a question from one or possibly multiple disciples. They ask him, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And throughout the Gospels, you see the disciples as a bunch of men who don't really get it. They're constantly lagging behind, which is why the book of Acts is so striking, because they end up in a strong position. They know seemingly overnight what it means to be a Christian after the resurrection of Christ, after Christ comes to them and they receive the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But up until that moment, for all of Jesus' ministry, the disciples just don't get it. Because it's pretty obvious to us, if you're asking who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you're probably not going to be the greatest, right? It's like electing someone into a position of leadership who really wants it. Often, someone who wants to be a leader is the person that is least qualified to be a leader. It's often the person who doesn't want the position who really deserves it. So in answering this question, Jesus calls up a child, which has always been a bit of a problem for me, if I'm being honest, because this child seems a little more than a set piece. You know, the child is used to make a point. Some of you might be familiar with this. If you attend church regularly, there might be a children's moment as part of your worship service. For those of you who do not know, this is a time in which the children come up front to the church and the pastor or a children's minister talks to them for a period of time about faith. Uh, Sometimes these are done to instruct the children, but often these moments have a bit of a pull and tug to them. It's not just about instructing the children about some aspect of faith, but it's also about instructing the adults as well. And the children are just used as an easy way for the adults to feel as if they're not being talked down to. Because if I'm discussing faith, uh, maybe some basic point about the resurrection, in a children's moment, I could bring out a stuffed cocoon that would blossom into a butterfly, a toy, a physical example of what I am discussing, a, a symbol of the resurrection. But if I were to do that same thing in a sermon, adults might see it as being a bit childish. Even though if they are new to their faith, that might be the exact sort of educational tool that they need. So these children's moments can become just an easy way for pastors to educate adults without them feeling as if they are being talked down to. Because adults often don't like being treated like kids. In fact, kids often don't like being treated like kids. I mean, I can't tell you the number of children that tell me that they're a big kid or a big boy or a big girl. They're not like those little babies. 
They always want to be older and older, to have some sense of independence. And I think often, adults or children, want to be able to take care of ourselves, to add something to the community, to be adults, to be fully functioning members of society. We feel as if we are greater uh, than those who need assistance. But in reality, I think we're often better off accepting our limitations, being humbled. Jesus particularly says that whoever humbles themselves like a child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Because it's important to notice that children cannot take care of themselves. Being a child requires some sense of humility because they can't take care of their own needs. I love my son very much, and he enjoys as much independence as he can have as an 18-month-old. But even though he wishes he was more independent, when he's hungry, all he can do is point up toward the refrigerator or point up toward the pantry. He gestures and calls for me to come and open it because he can't. He knows his limitations. And the disciples here didn't understand their own limitations. Because becoming the greatest in the kingdom of heaven has absolutely nothing to do with an individual. It's about recognition that the individual is nothing. That we can do nothing more than just reach up and gesture toward the pantry. We can't grab the food that we need to spiritually be nurtured. But Jesus can. Jesus calls us to welcome the little child in his name, but but in verse 6, he goes even beyond that, calling us who believe in him little ones. Little ones. This is a different word than little child because it doesn't refer to a child anymore, but it refers to all believers who have become little ones in Christ. It's saying that you as an adult are like a child when compared to Christ and God, and we need to recognize that we are little ones. Whether you are a biblical scholar or you've been raised in the faith your entire life, if you know the Bible cover to cover, verse by verse, it doesn't matter. You're still a little one to Christ. And that's what we get from this section. Woe to the world. And it can seem a bit grisly, right? If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better to enter life maimed and crippled than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire of hell. A literal interpretation of this would mean that many Christians would be walking around right now missing feet and hands or more likely a whole head. I mean, if your mouth causes you to sin, it would be rather difficult to cut it off. And if it's your mind, well, decapitation sounds like an awful way to go. So this scripture, though it sounds quite grisly, has been seen since the very moment it was spoken and written down as literary imagery. The disciples, who we see sin quite often, weren't 
maimed men. They weren't cutting off various parts of their body. When Peter denied Christ three times, he didn't cut out his tongue physically. Uh, but instead, this imagery reinforces the idea that we need to be humbled. A two-handed man is capable. They can support themselves. But if they are living in sin, leading these little ones away, then they need to accept the humility that they are not capable. And that's what this whole section is about, this whole discourse, that no one is too small, that we all need to be humbled. That even a single sheep is worth leaving the 99 to go and find, that, that no one falls through the cracks in the body of Christ. Which is something that we need to hear today, just as the disciples needed to hear back then. Because the disciples uh, probably thought quite highly of themselves. Uh, they were following Jesus as he went around uh, destroying arguments given to him by the Pharisees and teaching people the good news and, and showing the world the miraculous signs of God. But even though they were one of these twelve chosen men, they still were little ones. Now, let me say it again. The only one who is good is God. Everyone else finds their goodness not in themselves, but in Christ. God is good. You are a follower of the good God. It's about humility. It's about putting Christ first. Christ is telling us to accept a lowly position, that we are children in need of being saved. But just because we are small in the eyes of God doesn't mean that God cannot make us big in the same way as a child is supported by his family. The Son is there to open the pantry for us and to give us whatever we need. We just need to gesture for him to open it. As always, I'd like to thank you for joining me today. And if you have any questions or prayer requests, please reach out to me at BiblePeriodBourbon at gmail.com. I do have a correction. Last week, someone emailed me and said that I said, after 10 days, Jesus took with him, when the scripture actually says, after six days. You're correct. I don't know why I said 10. I guess I just misspoke. But it is after six days in chapter 7, verse 1, not after 10. Next week, we're going to cover quite a divisive scripture, Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus talks about divorce and marriage. And while it's true that Jesus drank wine, an occasional glass is different than an addiction. If you need help, please seek it. If you need help but don't know where to look, please reach out to me and I'll be happy to guide you. Blessings, everyone. Mm -hmm.